Jesus, hallelujah. Just going to thank God for His grace. I'm a product of His grace. We are products of His grace. And we are thankful. We are thankful. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the great love that you have towards us. Oh, thank you because your grace has been sufficient. It's been enough for us. It's brought us to where we are right now. Your grace is the reason why we stand. Your grace is the reason why we stand. We rejoice because of your grace. Hmm, 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 hmm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, 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 thank you. Glory to God. I say thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness towards us. Oh, glory to God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Please greet one another. Hoo, hoo, hoo.
glory to God. <sighs> welcome to February. Please welcome someone to the month of February. Deliberately welcome someone to the month of February. Your best month yet. If they didn't tell you, please tell yourself. This is. Uh-huh. I'm very, very convinced Hello, welcome, good to see you, I like your tie-dye shirt Praise the Lord Now, I'm very convinced that the Lord wants to do remarkable things for us in this month. He wants to do remarkable things in us and through us. And I just want you to be deliberate. Praise the Lord. I just want you to be deliberate. Tell yourself I'll be deliberate this month. God has a plan taking me on a journey and I'll follow through and I'll get there in Jesus' mighty name. Alright. Um, let me ask a trick question because I know many people are going to fail. What's the theme of this month? For us at Brace Up. Titi is smiling because she has inside information. Be bold. Come out. Come out bold and talk. You know it. You posted it, you spoke about it, say it. What's the thing? You said? Life of Christ. What did she say? <laughs> All right. Close enough. <laughs> I don't know who grace is. All right. For, us, for the next two weeks, We'll be treating scandalous grace. <laughs> That's what she said. Scandalous grace. For the next two weeks, on Sunday, we'll be treating scandalous grace. And on Wednesday, we'll be taking Life Hack. Life Hack is a teaching about love, the believer's love life, believer in a dating relationship, believer in persecution and all of those things. But for Sundays, our teaching theme for the next two weeks will be Scandalous Grace. And today, the topic is the story of Samson. Say the story of Samson. Samson. Alright. And um, you might have wondered why out of everything we could have studied about we decided to study the story of Samson. I mean, if you want to teach on the grace of God, there are a lot of scriptures you could have gone to. So why are we going through Samson? This will help us in different ways. This particular teaching will help us in different ways. But one, of, one thing I want you to realize is that, and you already know, that the Old Testament books teach about Christ, right? Well, let's be frank. Many of us don't visit the Old Testament books again. We are done with them. Just once we start from the book of Romans, that's the end. We read Romans. <laughs> but, but listen, think about this. In the teaching ministry of Jesus, his reference point was the Old Testament books. Everything he wanted to communicate to the people, if he had to give a reference point, he used the Old Testament books. What we now know as the scriptures. Praise the Lord. And even in Paul's teaching ministry, it's interesting that if Paul wanted to validate anything that he said, 
any revelation that he wanted to explain, he would validate them with the Old Testament books. So the Old Testament books are the raw material for teaching. In fact, if you were a studious Bible student in the days of Paul, you will be reading the Old Testament books. If you were a studi studious Bible student in the days of Jesus, you will be reading the Old Testament books. If you understood the grace of God well in the days of Jesus, you got your understanding from the Old Testament books. In Matthew chapter 12, from verse 1 to 4, Matthew 12, 1 to 4, something remarkable happened. And Jesus, I've said this before, let me say it again. I think I said it the first time was on breakfast meeting, where I said, when people read the Old Testament books, there are three things they see. Who remembers? All right. One per two. Thank you. Number one is they see stories, right? When they read the Old Testament books, they see stories. What's the second thing they see? Yes, they see laws, right? The third thing they see is what? Prophecies, right? Basically, that's what you see in the Old Testament. You see stories, you see laws, and you see prophecies. And the truth is, the New Testament message can be taught from the stories, the laws, and the prophecies. Look at Matthew chapter 12, from verse 1 to 4. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were unhungered and began to pluck the ears of the corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is unlawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Are you with me? Are you with me? Alright. But Jesus said unto them, Have you not read what David... Have you not read what David... Are you guys not? Are you there? Have you not read what David did? When he was a hungered and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was unlawful for him to eat, neither for them that were with him, but for only the priest. So he begins to teach something they should understand as a New Testament reality and reference an event, a story, in the Old Testament. So, that's good material for teaching New Testament realities. Praise the Lord. Now, if you jump to verse 5, it says, Or have you not read in the law? Do you see that now? Have you not read in the law? Oh, thank you, Lord. How that on the Sabbath days, the priests in the temple profaned the Sabbath and were blameless. But I say unto you, oh, glory to God, that in this place, one greater than the temple, is one greater than the temple. And then he, he, he quoted a prophecy by Hosea. This prophecy is from Hosea 6.6. He said, But if ye had known what this meaneth, then he quotes the prophecy, I would have mercy and not sacrifice. I would not condemn and would not have you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. Hosea's prophecy is, I would not um, desire mercy rather than sacrifice and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So Jesus teaches, Jesus taught a New Testament reality from the stories in the Old Testament, from the law, and from the prophecy. Praise the Lord. So they are relevant, mater they are relevant material for teaching. The Old Testament is the relevant material for teaching. Paul did the same thing in Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. 
What shall we de- say then that our father Abraham, so he begins to tell them about the story, as pertaining the flesh had found. What did Abraham discover? He said, for if Abraham was justified by works, he had whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Is that Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. So he begins to teach. The next question would be, was this only available till the epistles came? Were they only using those materials as, I must say, teaching aid? Yeah, yeah teaching aid. But more than teaching aid, it's only those that teachers here that understand what teaching aid is. Oh, sorry. Rabbi. <laughs> Teaching aid is very simple. You're teaching them about circle. You tell them this is circle. That's what teaching aid is. So, but more than teaching aid, it was a reference material, a point of evidence. So, was this only available until the epistles would come? No. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul says, Oh, open the epistles. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Glory to God. Oh, so I'm growing in my understanding. Romans 15, 4. Are you there? Are you there? Respond. Alright, let's read together. One, two, go. For whatsoever things were written at four times, stop. Whatsoever things were written where? When was he talking about? In the Old Testament. Alright, let's read again. One, two, go. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Do you see that? Those things were written for our learning. They are materials for our learning. Praise the Lord. Of course, all you need to learn to do is how to interpret them the right way. So one of those things that was written for learning was the story of Samson. Interesting, he said for and um, whatsoever things were written, whatsoever things were written, whatsoever things were written, were written for learning. So one of those things, the story of Samson. Very, very compelling story if you read it critically. Oh, the guy is off. Now, this window. Now, now, if let me let me tell you about how to read the Bible a little. If you don't learn, if you don't learn. To look at the event or a particular statement, the way the original audience received it. If you don't learn to receive it the way the original audience received it, you will not get it very well. Praise the Lord. When a statement is made in the Bible or when an event happens in the Bible, you have to be able to put yourself within the context of the original audience to get it very well. Do you understand? Let me say it again. For you to understand any Bible story or any Bible teaching, you have to put yourself within the context of the original audience. You will not understand the heart of Paul in the book of Ephesians if you don't understand what the church was going through. You will not understand the book of 1 Thessalonians by the way, how many of you read First Thessalonians last week? Beautiful book. Beautiful book. I, I'm wondering why is the rating of that book not high? I mean, it's not it's not so popular. It's like, but a beautiful book. You will not understand First Thessalonians if you don't understand the context in which it was written. It was a when Paul was going to minister to the church, he was resisted. He was persecuted for it. 
and the people themselves were persecuted for receiving the gospel. The minister was persecuted, the church was persecuted. Now Paul is separated from them and he's really wondering, I hope they haven't turned back. It's a very, very strong book. Praise the Lord. So like I was saying, you must put yourself within the context of the original audience to get it. So that's what we're going to do with this story. Try to put yourself within the context of Samson's contemporary. And then you would, you would see how amazing the story is. Praise the Lord. Alright, so the story of Samson's sin is between the book of, um, is, in first, is in Judges chapter 13 to chapter 16. Judges 13, the whole Judges 13 to 16 was about Samson. Started with Samson and ended with when he died. And um, so as an introduction, the story of Samson actually predated his birth. Actually, predated even his conception. So they begin to talk about Samson even before he was born. An event that only happened in that fashion to John the Baptist and to Jesus. Where the angel of the Lord appears to his parents and says, you're going to have a child. That's what happened to Samson. An angel of the Lord appears to his mother and says, you're going to have a child. And this was going to be like... So his birth was in the fashion of John the Baptist and um, Jesus in that sense. In that sense. Do you understand? Alright, so let's read it. Judges chapter 13 from verse 1. The children of Israel did evil against, again in the sight of the Lord, these people, again. They had done it and they had gone into exile to Egypt for over 400 years. Now they are at it again. Wow. In sight of the Lord. <sighs> and the Lord delivered them unto the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of Demites, I think, whose name was Manor, and his wife was barren, and, be, and bear not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren, and bear not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, drink not wine, nor strong drink, Eat not any unclean thing, for lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For he shall be, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. So that's the backstory of Samson. It's very, very dramatic. He hasn't been born. The people are in um, captivity. And you know their only prayer, God just deliver us from this free instinct. Just deliver us from this free instinct. That's what they wanted. Then an angel appears to Samson's mother and said, look, you're barren, you're going to have a child. And this child is special. He's going to deliver the people from the hands of the Philistines. So that's good news for her in every sense. She's going to stop being barren and they're going to be out of captivity. So imagine how you picture Samson if he was a classmate. Of course, the Philistines wouldn't know that this is the guy that is going to deliver the Israelites from them, right? Yeah. yeah. Nobody's going to tell, right? I'm tempted to yap someone around here, but I'll just let it pass. <laughs> now, so imagine how you look at Samson. It's that guy. He's going to live us. You want to almost study anything about him, the way he writes, the way he walks. Just because you know that he's actually, he's not forming special, he's a special person. Right? The special person. You probably even want to be his friend and favor him, just in case they'll be good at the end of this. <laughs> you see? But now, here's what a Nazareth looks like. Numbers chapter 6. I want you to see what a Nazareth looks like because he said he shall be a Nazareth unto God. Numbers chapter 6 from verse 1. Numbers 6 verse 1. Please open as quickly as possible. Are you there? Not yet. Alright. The Lord spoke unto Moses saying, 
Speak unto the children of Israel. Now, this is way before they went into captivity. All right? Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When neither man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite. So if you separate yourself and say, I want to be a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, they shall separate themselves, him, he shall separate himself from wine, from strong drink, and he shall drink no vinegar of wine, nor vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any lukewarm um, of grape, nor eat the mist of grape, or so these guys have a lot of restrictions. All the days of his separation shall he not shall he eat nothing that is made out of vine tree from the canal, even the husk. All the days of his vow of separation shall no razor come upon his head until the days are fulfilled, in which he has separated himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy, and he shall let the locks of his head to grow. And all the days that he separated himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. So this is part of the instruction of a Nazareth. He shall not make himself unclean. Now listen to this. He shall not make himself unclean for, sorry, for his father or for his mother or for his brother or his sister when they die. That is, he can't even touch them. Let me tell you, if you keep reading, he said, if a dead body should, someone should die around him, or, you know, you want to die, just fell on him. He has to sacrifice, he has to go and offer his sacrifice. So he doesn't do dead bodies. <laughs> no, he can't work in a mortuary, he can't work in a hospital. Praise the Lord. He can't be a poetry guy. Wow. Not nice. So this is a Nazareth, Nazareth, separated unto the Lord. These are the rules. This is what you must do as a Nazareth. Now, Samson is a Nazareth. So basically, if you're a Nazareth, here's how it is. There's a big G in your life. And it's not girls. It's God. Samson didn't get the memo. Do you understand? <laughs> he didn't get the memo. You are separated unto God. Now let's go back to Judges 13, where we were. Thank you, Lord. Basically, Judges 13 just talks about how he was born and all. So Judges 14 begins to talk about the escapade of Samson. So Samson goes to... And finds a lady that is a Philistine lady and says, This girl is fine. I think I want her. And then he goes back to tell his friend, He said, Look, there's a girl I saw among the Philistines and I like her. I want you guys to get her for my, as a wife for me. And then his father was like, You know, my son, this you can't. Yeah, look at these Israelite ladies now. This, you look at them. He said, No, no, that's who I want. He said, She's fine. That's his reason. She's fine. Then his father says, okay, no problem. So they went to see her. Basically, I think it's something that is equivalent to an introduction. They went to see her. They told the family of the girl about it. And the girl liked the idea. So. But on their way going to tell the family of the lady about what Samson wants, I think he wasn't walking into his parents. Maybe his parents were ahead of him. And he was just pressing his phone behind them or something. I don't know, I'm just imagining. <laughs> of course, that's not what happened. You know, but he wasn't with his friend at the time. And then the Bible said a lion roared and charged at him. And he looked at him and said, what nonsense, me. You know who I am? He says a young lion. So basically, a young lion is stronger than an older lion because an older lion is old, like our old parents at, in the village. They say, toy it as you tear a, a, a kid. Yeah. That's what Samson does. He just tears it open. And, and continues his journey. That was an aside. For Samson, killing a lion was an aside. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't tell his parents about it. 
She didn't tell his parents about it. So after a while, they went back. So they went to see the girl's family. They liked it. So they're going to come back for the wedding proper. They brought a, couple of, a number of things, and they're going to come for the wedding proper. And he was doing the same thing he was doing the first time, pressing his phone, so his parents were way ahead of him. And then he just said, oh, let me even check on what I killed the other day. And then Samson, being a Nazarite, looks at the carcass of a dead lion, sees honey in it. I don't know, okay, maybe they were bees there, so he figured out there was honey. But then if you kill a lion, what are bees to you? You just did like this and they left. And then he saw honey. He tasted it. Hmm. That was the equivalence of cold stone in his day. <laughs> he couldn't miss it. That's nice. So he packed some and just continued. From the dead carcass, a Nazarite. A Nazarite. He was defiling himself. This is someone that God has an assignment for. And he should keep himself for the assignment. The assignment was definite. It's not like there's a plan of God upon your life. You don't know what it is. He knew what it is. He knew what he should do. And it was deliberate because if you read the story of Samson, you'll be tempted to think Samson was a teenager. Everything he had to do, he told his parents. Anytime Samson is not telling his parents anything he's doing, no, he's doing the wrong thing. Let me give an instance. In the story of... Okay, so this same lady, after he finishes, he gives his parents, like, oh, take, I bought cold stone for you. He didn't tell them where he got it from. Just gave them the honey and they licked it. And then <laughs> he got to the girl's place. So I think the tradition was that they would have a feast for seven days. You just, you just chilling life. I don't know why their wedding was taking so long. I think the wedding should be fast so that honeymoon can be longer. But I don't know, theirs wasn't that way. So they had a feast for seven days, basically. So you come and then they'll bring people, guys. They brought 30 guys to just be your companion, you just be your guide. Basically, the equivalent, yes, of bachelor's <laughs> party. Just that that was seven full days. Wow. Yeah. So something was like, okay, let me just, you guys have tried, you've tried to impress me, I'm impressed. Let me give you a riddle. So he threw a riddle at them. He said, out of the eater came the eating and something, 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 something. And then they were like, he said, if you... <laughs> Ridiculous guy. He said, if you guys can solve this riddle, I'll give you 30 change of raiment. That's clothes. If you can't, you will give me 30. So they said, fine. And so he told them. And then they're trying to figure it out. They couldn't figure it out. Then they went to meet the girl. They tried. They couldn't. On the last day, they told the girl. This is what they told the girl. That have you come to embarrass us and take our possessions? Don't you see how the Philistines think? Those people are gathered for her wedding. They said, have you come to embarrass us and to take our possessions? Go and tell Samson to tell you the riddle and come and tell us. If you don't do that, we will burn you and your father's house. So naturally, she was committed (laughs) to finding out. And they were not joking because you know what? At the end, Something happened, some things happened. They actually burnt her in her father's house. Those were the feelings things for you. But here's what I was saying. I said, if Samson is not telling his parents something, he's doing the wrong thing. So she comes to meet him and says, Samson, Samson, what's the answer? Samson's response was, why should I tell you when I've not told my father the answer to the riddle? I'm like, wow, Samson. You know, so basically, if Samson is doing something wrong, he doesn't just tell his parents. So, He's taking things from carcass, involving himself in the wrong things, loving the wrong person, getting into the wrong situation. That was something. That's chapter 14. In chapter 15, the story stretches, and I don't want to go into all of those details. Then chapter 16. Okay, so at the end of chapter 15, something now finally relaxes. The Bible said he something is actually a judge. He was meant to be judging cases in Israel. I know. <laughs> you will not know reading the story of Samson. But he, he finally calmed down. In Judges, I think 15, verse 30 or so. He said, So Samson judged Israel for 20 years. Then one day he just woke up in verse 16. 
I went to the house of a prostitute. I felt like that's what he wanted to do that day. <laughs> Going to the wrong place. So, like I said, we are looking at the story of Samson from the eyes of a contemporary of Samson. You know what God has called his dad to do. Look at how he keeps messing up his life. Look at how he keeps messing up his life. As some of us might be in that situation, where there's something that the Lord has said for you to do. There's a desire, there's a consecration that he demands of you. But you might not be doing it. Praise the Lord. So Samson went to the house of a prostitute. He chilled there for till midnight and he just left. He wasn't sharing scriptures. That's chapter 16. Later on in chapter 16, he meets Delilah. He meets Delilah. And these people were people that worshipped the god of dragons. That was their god. So Samson was basically just involving himself in one wrong stuff to the next wrong stuff to the next wrong stuff. until they plucked off his eyes. Then he couldn't see the pretty ladies again. Do you understand? You would have thought that, okay, God is done with something. But this is why it's called the scandalous grace of God. Something moved from one wrong stuff to another wrong stuff to another wrong stuff. But the moment he tilted just a little towards God, God embraced him in such a radical way you would have thought something had lived the best life yet. Remember that Samson's job description, ultimate job description, was to deliver the Israelites from the hands of the Philistines. The Bible said the people he killed at his death were more than the people he killed all through his lifetime. Basically, what he did was he killed all the leaders of the Philistines, the rulers. And he killed 3,000 other people. So he basically did the equivalence of what Moses did when he was leaving Egypt. He weakened the Philistines setting the stage for the release of the Israelites. Just because, this is the scandalous grace of God, that a man just yields. Sometimes, when you read the story of Samson, you are, you are you're tempted to think, God, didn't you see what he did? Here's a greater lesson. You might not have being committed to all the consecrations that God has given you to do. And I'm in no way encouraging you not to be consecrated to God. But I want you to see how God looks at you. I want you to see God's commitment to you. I've heard over the years, many times, people tell me, I don't know if God can use me. Right from secondary school, talk to people and they're like, look, you don't know what I've done. That God, some people tell me God can't forgive me. But just a little yieldedness from a man like Samson. Praise the Lord. So God is still interested in using you. That assignment he has given you, that instruction he has given you, you can go back to it. It looks like something had lost everything, his hair had been cut off. It looks like he has lost the anointing. And there might be someone here today that feels like I've lost the anointing that the Lord has given me. The truth is, when you look at people, and this is very important, I'm probably going to talk about this more um, Maybe this Wednesday instead, in fact. Listen, people are carriers of the anointing of God. And you must learn to honor people. 
People are carriers of grace. When you look at some people, you know that there is a certain grace upon their lives. You see how they do some things with ease. And you know what? You can be a partaker of the grace of a brother. It's easy to look at the pastor and say, oh, this great man of God. Or, you know, this TV minister. I want the grace upon his life. But do you know what? Many people sitting here are carriers of great anointings and great graces that you can share in. I learned this very early. I had a friend that had such, she had such favor upon her life. She would go to the market with her mom and her mom would be bargaining something with the man. The man would say, no, 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 this and that. I'll not sell. Your price is too low. And then the man would suddenly look at her. That's the girl. And say, are you? Well, how much will I sell it? Anything you say, I sell it for that amount. And she would name a price and then say, okay. I watched it again and again and again and again and again. You just see people that favor just comes to them. You, you are struggling to get everything done. Sometimes we now develop envy. We now develop hatred to God. No, it's very simple. He that receives a righteous man, in the name of a righteous man, will receive a righteous man's reward. There's what honor we do to you. And you must learn to honor your brother. Do you understand? It doesn't mean we would not play. It doesn't mean we're not friends. It's not human worship. But you just realize that it's an anointing upon that person's life. If God is using someone, don't get envious of the person. Imagine someone trying to get envious of something. That because you heard about what God wants to do in the life of something, and they are now beefing him, now telling people about how he's living his life in a reckless way. What you don't realize is how much God used something at the end of his life. There was something the Lord told me about three years ago. It touched me in a very remarkable way. He said, it's very, everyone thinks they're special to God. Is there anybody here that doesn't think I'm special to God? Everyone thinks like they're special to God. There's this thing that God wants to do through me. God, you know, God has this plan for my life. But he said, he, he said this to me. He said, look, I want you to realize that I have the same, I have a strong plan for the life of this person, for the life of this person, for the life of this person. So don't look at anyone as less. You must learn to honor people and realize that God loves them as much as he loves you. So the way you carry yourself as someone that God loves, you must look at them that way. Praise the Lord. So when you look at something, it's something that you know figuratively. You must realize that there is an anointing upon their lives. You cannot do anything against it. And if it's in your life, I want you to not lose hope. Praise the Lord. I want you to not lose hope. So I basically told you the story. The scriptures are here. I'm just going to tell you where they are. So you can write them down and look at them later. The story of Timna, when Samson went to Timna, and the whole lion experience is Judges 14, 5 to 9. Judges 14, 5 to 9. That's the part where he took, he, he went and then took from the carcass and all, defiling himself. In verse 20 was when something finally calmed down. Judges 15, 20. He calmed down and judged Israel for um, 20 years. In Judges 16, verse 1, something went to the house of a harlot. Then, in same Judges 16 was when he went to, he said he loved Delilah, he wanted to marry her. Verse 23 tells us that the God that the Philistines worship was the God of dragon. That was anti-Christ, against what God would have us do, the God of the Bible would have us, have us do. 
Then the victory of Samson is in Judges 16, verse 26 to 29. Judges 16, 26 to 29. I was going to read all of them, but I, I, I told you basically everything that was in those places. Praise the Lord. So he consistently sought to gratify himself. Right? But as soon as he showed a little willingness to yield towards God, God accepted him and used him in a very, very, very remarkable way. And I said, I want you to, if you are in that situation, to look at yourself that way. Don't lose hope on what God will have you do. You probably started up and then you gave into the flesh. You gave into probably anger. You gave into this. You gave into envy. And all of them are the works of the flesh, actually. But I want you to know that the vision is still there. Praise the Lord. Now, the grace of God helps us to see how God sees us. And I want you to just, just a couple of things I want us to learn. Number one, so the grace of God helps us to see how God sees us. That when God looks at you, now a new creation, right? He sees you, he sees the nature that he has given you. And that's very important for you to know. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. It says, oh, let's look at this. I read this also in the breakfast meeting. Beautiful passage of scripture. Why it's important for you to see yourself the way God sees you is because the reason why you think God cannot use you again or use you as much as he's using somebody is because you look at yourself as inferior. You are not seeing yourself the way he sees you. You are looking at attainment. what you haven't been able to attain as the basis for God to use you. But that was not the basis on which God used Samson. He chose to use Samson out of his grace. Right? It, was, it wasn't about anything that Samson did. So you must look at yourself and say, this is nature I have. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. He says, so from now on, I'm reading from the NIV, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We do not regard others from a human point of view. If you were a contemporary of something, you would have thought, ah, no, 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 God can't just look, he's written off. And sometimes we're tempted to see ourselves that way because we know ourselves. We know what we're doing. We know our flaws. We know our weaknesses. We know our inadequacies. We know how we haven't kept our consecrations. He says, we do not look at anyone from the human point of view. He said, we used to look at Christ from a human point of view, but we know more. Verse 17 now says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Glory to God. Amen. He said the old has gone. The new has come. You should not at any point stop looking at yourself that way. He said, behold, that is see that the old has gone. The new has come. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Look at it. The old has gone. I mean, he said, look. He didn't say, look at the physical. No. He said, by revelation knowledge, you are able to see that the old has gone. So I do not judge myself from a human point of view. I don't observe the things in my life and see, you know, how I've led my life and judge myself that way. 
Now, when you teach on the grace of God like this, people think you're saying, oh, don't care about what you do. Do live your life as Samson lived his life. At the end of your life, you have an awesome life. You achieve purpose. No. Interestingly, the teaching of the grace of God is the direct opposite of that. And you're going to see it in this teaching. Praise the Lord. It's not a license to sin. It's actually a license to live a righteous life. That I see that this is who I am. I see that this is who I am. And I lead my life according to who I am. Praise the Lord. Now, um, verse 17 and 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Who can read verse 18 for me? Glory to God. Who has the NLT? Anyone has NLT? You have the NLT? Beautiful rendering in NLT. So he said, All things are of God. Who has reconciled us to Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation? Now, so the new creation is not, a, is not an attainment. It's actually a gift of grace. The nature you received was not attained. It was given to you by the grace of God. And you must see the grace of God. You must see that nature. You must continue to remind yourself of that nature. Praise the Lord. Interestingly, okay, Galatians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Let's go there. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14 and verse 15. Are you there? All right. I'll read from the NIV. Galatians to five verse fourteen and fifteen. The entire law is fulfilled in this command, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will destroy you will be destroyed by each other. Now let me say something that Because many times, and this usually gets to us, we judge ourselves by the good we do or the bad we do. We feel good about our spiritual life when we have done good and feel bad when we've done bad. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be remorseful when you do wrong. I'm saying you rate yourself. Do you understand? You rate yourself. And that's not what you should do. He said, behold, why? Because putting your trust on your good works disqualifies you as much as condemning yourself, rating yourself by your bad works. Putting your trust on the good works you have done is as offensive as rating yourself by the work, by the works you've done. You must always see yourself as who God has made you. Because that's how He sees you. That's how He sees you. Praise the Lord. That's the only way could have continued to use Samson. This is who I want you to be. This is what I want you to do. Because you trust me. Because Samson had to trust God. He was called a man of faith in Hebrews 11. A man that trusted in God. Not in his good works. Nor in his bad works. 
He just trusts in the goodness of God. That must be your disposition at every point in time. It's not a disposition you outgrow when your works are now good. No. No. You maintain it. I know you want to perfect some things about yourself. And you will. But how do you do it? He said, walk in the spirit. And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So your dependency must always be on God. Your trust must always be on the goodness of God, not on the good you have done or the bad that you have done. Praise the Lord. The second thing I want you to know is expectation. God has a very high expectation of you. How many of you have noticed it before? The Spirit of God gives you an instruction and you're like, how, am I, how will I do this? Like, He gives a consecration, for example. Look at the consecration of, of, of Samson. Don't cut your hair. Don't touch any bad, any dead animal. No drinking of any alcoholic, anything. And sometimes when you look at the consecration of a believer, it looks like a feat that you can't attain. Listen, when God gives you a consecration, when the Bible says this is what is required of a believer, this is the instruction to keep as a believer, he's not, he's not just trying to prod you. He's not trying to you know, keep you in a safe environment. He believes that you can attain everything he expects you to attain. Let me give an example that drives the point home. When we look at love relationship, dating relationship, and then the Bible expects that we keep it pure till marriage. Okay, funny term, does it become impure in marriage? <laughs> He's not trying to say, I know you won't do it, just stay in a safe zone. No, he actually is convinced because of the nature you have that you can keep it pure till marriage. Praise the Lord. The expectations of God are not above our head when you look at who you are in Christ. The instructions of God are not unattainable. The devotion required to take you to fulfilling the assignment that God has given you are not unattainable. If you are looking at who you are in Christ. As long as you think, I'm going to keep these consecrations by my strength, by exerting myself, you'll never get it. But he's at work in you. Glory to God both to will and to do of the things that please him. So God's expectations of you are doable by the Spirit of God that is in you. I forgot to read this, so I'll read it about the nature, how God sees you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be blameless and holy in his sight. This is how he chose to see me. He chose me before the foundation of the world to be blameless and holy in his sight. He chose to see me that way. And he's not, he wasn't doing that thing that you're telling someone that is not fine, the person is fine, so that the person will be comfortable. No. That's who you are. Blameless and holy. Now that leads to the next point that I've already explained expectation. In Ephesians chapter 2, from verse 10, it says, We are his workmanship created in Christ for good works. This is his expectation. In verse Ephesians chapter 2, from verse 8 to verse 10, he says, You're saved by grace through faith. He said, It's the gift of God. He said, No works, lest any man should boast. So it's a gift. And now says, You are his workmanship. Now that you know the identity, now that you know your nature, you are saved by grace, not by works. This is his expectation. You are his workmanship. He said you are created for good works. Praise the Lord. So say this, God's expectations of me are attainable by his spirit. God's expectations of me are attainable by his spirit. Glory to God. 
Um, Titus chapter 2 from verse 11 to 14. Titus 2, 11 to 14. Oh, this is beautiful. Glory to God. Titus chapter 2 from verse 11 to verse 14. Ah, the grace of God. Are you there? It says, For the grace of God has appeared to all KJB, I'm reading from NIV. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. This is the grace of God. It is not a license to sin. It teaches us to say no. Do you understand? This explains to you your capacity. You can say no. This grace you have teaches you to say no to all ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. This is the grace of God at work in you. It carries me. Glory to God. It carries me. I can say no. I can I can't. It's the grace of God. It helps me. So I have that capacity. Praise the Lord. I have that capacity. I can be eager for good works. And I have the capacity for good works. So so the scandalous grace of God helps you to see how he sees you. As a new creation. Helps you to see his expectation of you. Created for good works. And shows you his, your capacity. You can say no. Praise the Lord. So, those are simple lessons to learn from the story of Samson. And I want us to pray. But listen very well. You might have had an anointing on your life that looks like it has gone. You know the way it left for Samson. They just and they all shaved his hair. The guy tried, shook himself, nothing. You might have seen a certain grace upon your life that seems not to be found again. A certain drive, or maybe the operation of the gifts of God upon your life. And sometimes we have a lot of excuses we give ourselves. Most of the excuses boil down to, I haven't been faithful to my commitment. I haven't been faithful to my consecrations. But it's called the grace of God. It's called the gift of God. Jonathan, it's called the grace of God. It's called the gift of God. So, I'm telling myself right now that I trust in Him and I see its operation in my life. I'm no more disqualified. The operations of the Spirit of God at work in my life. Just rise up and pray. Rise up and pray. And I want you to pray for everything. Pa kata pa ta kata para do shinande. 